tennis great Martina Navratilova once said, Disability is a matter of perception. If you can do one thing well, you'll be needed by someone. Welcome to An Apple a Day, a podcast, a resource, a community. Share your experiences and learn from others as we overcome barriers and learn to live a happy, healthy life with a disability. Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Welcome to another episode of An Apple a Day. I'm your host, Jimmy Apple. How are you feeling today, my friends? You're feeling good? You're feeling strong? You're feeling better than you did yesterday? Excellent. Hey, what about you guys that just said you aren't feeling better than you did yesterday? What's holding you back? What is holding you back? Is it the weather? Is it your attitude? Is it somebody else's attitude? What's holding you back? Think about that. You should be feeling better than you did yesterday. Today's a new day. Every day. Even if it's just a little bit, a minutia, just a, a tad, you should feel a little bit better each day. Whether it's a breath of fresh air, maybe you're seeing things a little bit clearer, maybe you hear things a little bit better, maybe that ache doesn't hurt as much as it did yesterday, something. Every day you should feel a little bit, an inch, a pinch, just a little bit better. You have to try. You have to try. You have to let yourself feel better. Try. Write it down. Think about the reason why you're not feeling better. And don't say, oh, because I hurt. There has to be a reason that you're hurting. Maybe the reason is you're not sleeping enough. Maybe you're sleeping the wrong way. Maybe you're not eating right. Maybe eating junk food. Pizza for breakfast is not breakfast. You know you know what I'm saying? Ice cream for dinner is not dinner. You have to eat right. You have to get your rest. You have to get fresh air. You have to get off the couch if you can. You know, I'm, I'm not saying if you're crippled, you have to get off the couch because that's only going to put you on the floor. But <laughs> you have to get off the couch. Even if you're in the wheelchair, wheel out to the front door. Get some fresh air in your lungs. Open the windows. I know it's getting chilly out, but let some cold air get into your lungs. You have to start feeling better, my friends. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a miracle cure, but you have to feel a little bit better each day. It's important. It's important for all of us, myself included. Sometimes you just feel like, (laughs) I don't know how to spell that, but you feel like, you have to get over that. That's one of those obstacles that we have to get over on a regular basis. And the only way we can do that is moving around a little bit, building up a positive attitude. And one of the easiest ways to do that is through a little bit of exercise. Now, I'm not talking about going out and running a a five-mile run or anything like that, but just moving around a little bit, walking a little bit, even if it's just inside your house or your apartment, getting some fresh air, open the windows, breathe deep, breathe in the air from outside, just something. Don't just sit and become a couch potato in front of a TV or in front of a computer. Move around a little bit, go out on the front porch or on the front stoop or on the front sidewalk or the back porch, whatever. Get out of your house a little bit. Just stand outside or sit outside. Let the sun hit your face a little bit. But don't just become a plant inside your house. I'm not saying you have to go anywhere. I mean, we still have to worry about COVID and all this other nonsense. But don't let the stagnant air get stagnant inside of you. Move around a little bit. That's all. Get the blood flowing. Even if you just do exercises in place, shake your hands, shake your feet or your foot, whatever you have, shake it. (laughs) Shake it. Get moving. Talk to people. Get on the computer and talk to people. Don't become stagnant. And you'll see, that'll help you feel better. Socializing will help you feel better. Get on the phone. Call a friend. Call a family member. Call somebody just to talk. Don't live inside yourself. It's very important. Don't live inside yourself. And don't live in the past. Live in the present. Okay? That's just my suggestion for today. Anyhow, we have got a good one for you today. We have with us... Victoria Mavis. She is the author of a book called Every Scar Tells a Story. Now, when I tell you this is a good book, this isn't just a good book. This is a great book. This isn't a woe is me book. 
this book tells the story of Victoria's life, but it's told through a, a fictional version. It's not her telling you, oh, I this happened to me and this... She uses fictional characters, and there's a message in the book that's unbelievable. When I first received the book, and I was asked about, you know, if we wanted to interview her and everything, and I read the book, and I was like, I was confused a little bit, because I was expecting a book about Victoria, and what I got was a book with characters in it, and it was a book that I couldn't put down. It was an interesting story, whether you're disabled or you're not disabled, it's just a It'll blow you away, this book. I have to say that. And Victoria herself, well, once you meet Victoria, you'll see why this book will blow you away. I want to give you a little information on Victoria herself before we even jump into this. I have a little bit of information about her. So I want to share that with you before we jump into the interview. So sit back, relax, and listen to this for a second. Who is Victoria Mavis? Victoria Mavis is an author speaker and HR professional who suffered a tragic accident at the young age of four that left her with a lifelong disability. Within a year of her accident, she would be the first physically handicapped child to enter a school system that was not equipped physically or culturally for her special needs. She was a pioneer for equality of treatment in an era when people who were handicapped were considered social misfits that should be institutionalized, were openly ridiculed and discriminated against for access to public systems. Victoria paved the way for others who didn't fit in, long before the Americans with Disabilities Act was ever proposed, or before bullying was a community epidemic to resolve. Mavis grew professionally and thrived in a world where her handicap was the pink elephant in the room. She is now pursuing a future of giving back by continuing to develop programs for disability agencies, educational institutions and healthcare providers to help individuals with disabilities gain an independent lifestyle through whatever means they are impassioned by. She has published her debut book, Every Scar Tells a Story, a fictionalized account of her life living with a disability and journey to triumph. This book, Every Scar Tells a Story, is an easy read and will appeal to all whether you have a disability or not. There is a positive message in this book for everyone. I'll pass this back to Jimmy now so that he can introduce us to Victoria Mavis. Well, that's some bio, but let me tell you something. What it doesn't tell you is that Victoria is a warm and kind and funny person, and she's dedicated to her work. And that's shown and just how long it took to write this book. I'm not going to tell you. I want you to hear it in the interview. So listen for that, okay? So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Victoria Mavis. She is a wonderful person, a wonderful author, and a new friend of the show here. So sit back, relax, and let me introduce you to Victoria Mavis. Okay, we're here today with Victoria Mavis, and she is the author of Every Scar Tells a Story. She co-wrote this book with Angelo Sinisi. No, not Gary, Angelo. And she is a speaker, an author, and a human resources expert. How are you doing today, Victoria? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for asking. This book was a huge undertaking. Tell us... How did you come up with the book, first of all? Tell well, us. Tell well, it's us. a great question. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Great question. No, sorry for jumping in. It's a great question because I I, did, I never dreamed of being an author. I mean, that, that was not in my wheelhouse of what I was going to do. But as I, um, as I get older and went out into areas where, you know, I maybe it was with a new employer or new people and not in people with, with people who had grown up with me, I realized I had a story to tell that could maybe affect the way people feel about themselves. And when you say it's a huge undertaking, it was a lot huger than what I thought. Because when we started, the whole idea of writing a book was 10 years before it was published. So it was truly one of those like, oh, you know, um, kind of, 
you don't know what to do and or what you're gonna face until you get like three steps in and it's like oh my oh my <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what you guys you guys did one heck of a job on this because this is a real page turner you start reading this book and it's one of those books that you don't want to put down once you start reading it's like every book when you first open it up and you start reading you go oh this is a little bit slow but then as you get into it it's not so slow anymore and as a disabled person myself, I can relate to this book unbelievably so. I just, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke because I have you on the line and I had the book in front of me. But it's just that type of book, it reaches out and it grabs you. Now, you made a 1,600-mile hmm. trek, or Liz, I should say, in the book. She made a 1,600-mile trek to catch up with her, her past. Yeah. And, like I said... It grabs me. Now, I do have a question about this, though. She was adopted. Yes, she was adopted at the age of four. Now, did she ever know her birth parents? She did, and that, that was complicated, and that caused, in many respects, that, in her case, that opened Pandora's box because her adopted family, she got adopted after her accident. Um, she got adopted, but her sister didn't. And her sister was only 18 months older than she was. And even though they hung out together, were in, if you will, a foster care situation together, there was a divide when it actually came to the adoption. So going back to her birth parents, um, the people who adopted her, who she later always calls mom and dad, because they were her parents, really, mm -hmm. they, they decided that because Liz was old enough to remember her, um, her have a memory, it wasn't fair to not allow her family to see her if they chose. Um, and parts of her family chose to see her and parts of her family chose not to see her. Wow. And and as a kid growing through that, um, and that was confusing. It was really confusing. And was this started the trek going back to her past? Uh, you know, I think it's always been the track of going back to her past. Because when I look at, you know, and in, in appreciate it, you know, even though we talk about Liz, Liz is truly my life um, from a very early age. But when we talk about that, there was always an un unrest with Liz because she never, she had so many unanswered questions that even though she tried to get them answered, tried to think through it, tried to remember, tried to ask people, she never really got her que questions answered until she just until she was like later in life and couldn't couldn't hide from it anymore because the crux of what what kept her trapped in the past kind of was, was like this mystery that she had to solve and once she solved the mystery of the past it's like oh wow gosh then she got the freedom and you know uh freedom and peace in, in her i guess you'd say in her soul to be able to move beyond what happened in the past. That makes sense, actually, because how can you move forward if you if you're still stuck in the past, right? Yeah, and she and she was stuck. I was stuck. I would say that. Um, but you know, in, in, in living with a disability, I'm sure you can appreciate this. Mm -hmm. But from from the earliest ages, Liz, Liz, or me, remember, people would come up to me, strangers, and say, "Hey, what's wrong with your leg?" Yeah. Hey, what happened? Hey, what happened to you? And I'm like, oh, we have to go over this again, you know. And yet, every time she was asked that question, it took her back to the accident, which she never reconciled. And so, even though she wanted so hard and so much to escape the past, with every new person she met, it just rewound itself. Mm -hmm. That's right. You have to relive it. I, Every, every person that has a disability knows that feeling. You have to relive it almost every day. Yeah. And people don't yeah. realize that. And I think they mean well when they ask you. Um, I think they do. I think some of do. them, Some of them didn't. And, they, you know, a couple of them were called out in the book, mm -hmm. um, you know, by some of the snarky comments right. that Liz May makes. But for the most part, I think what it is is, that they don't know what to do with that. Right. You know, when you, when someone says what happened and you say, oh, gee, I had an accident and I fell, I fell on my head and 
you know, I was unconscious and I was left paralyzed and, you know, and, and all that, the rest of the story, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, that's a big thing. What do you do with that? Right. You, and, you dumbfounded then. Like, where that's do you, right. Where do you go? And, and, and as, as, as somebody who doesn't, maybe, who may be a casual acquaintance or a stranger or even a good friend, it's like, oh my gosh, how, they just are overwhelmed. And so I think in Liz's case, you know, not only did she repeat it, you know, or relive it, as you said, as everyone with a disability, she finally saw that the way she retold the story to other people stopped them in their tracks from getting past mm-hmm. her horror. And in the goal of, and part of the goal of writing the book was in the, one of the original ideas was just, I had this one idea one day I'm like I'm gonna just take a tape recorder record what happened and every time someone asks me what happened I'm gonna play the recorder (laughs) (laughs) because I know you're I know you're gonna ask and you know when she got to the point of how she could tell that story and have peace with the story in her heart it, it came it landed very differently with the people she then told what happened to you know, she also learned in, in really, Angelo pointed this out. Angelo is my co-author. Mm-hmm. I call him, sometimes we call him Ange. <laughs> but um, Ange pointed out very early in the writing process, he says, you know, Victoria, you don't have to tell people the whole story. Right. What, what you choose to tell them is your choice. So figure out what version you want to tell, you know, and, and live with that. And so that took, you know, that was a huge shift in mindset of because you know i grew up having to always tell the truth that's what i learned mm-hmm. that's how got to tell the truth gotta have full disclosure right and, you know and i knew nothing other than that my whole not my whole entire life but until kind of we went on the book journey so i thank angelo for every time he kicked me and say he didn't actually kick me but prodded <laughs> and, and would ask difficult questions i'm like i don't want to answer that he goes but you have to I don't care what you, maybe you don't have to answer it to me, but you need to answer it to yourself. Um, and so that was very, you know, very much a part of her journey. You, you know, I learned after, after a short time because I'm missing a leg. Okay. And people would come up to me and they'd say, oh, you, you lost it in war? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. No. Did you, how'd you lose your leg? And that's a very personal question, really. And in the beginning, I, I, I'd go through the whole thing. I had charcoal foot, diabetes, da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'd tell them. But after a while, that story got really, got to me. Yeah. So now when people ask, how did you lose your leg? I cut myself shaving. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and that's, I, I just, like that. I just leave it like that, and I, I roll away, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I just and... L- learned. And either they're going to laugh at it, or they're going to think I'm a moron. Or whatever. I don't care what they think anymore. Because that's a personal question to ask someone. If I seen you in the street and you're walking with a crutch, it's none of my business why you're walking with a crutch. Yeah, I think we need to teach that in school. Honestly. You know, I, I, I don't mean it to be hard on the academic system, but, you know, I lived with it from from kindergarten on. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the kids were relentless. Oh, um, and not that adults were much better, but if you, if you, <laughs> you know, if you learn that as a child, you know, you're always going to do that, you know, and if they don't, if they don't see something, then they just stare rudely, oh. you know, or, or whisper, you know, behind your back. I can remember when I first got my, I had my leg amputated twice, once below the knee and once above the knee. And when I first had it done, below the knee I didn't want to go anywhere I didn't want to mm. go out of the house my wife finally taught me to go out of the house taught me into going out and we went to, went to a Ruby Tuesdays restaurant I remember this like it was yesterday and I had the below the knee and naturally when you sit down your pants go up a little bit and this little kid kept on walking by and looking at my leg and he seen the, seen the rod I mean you couldn't miss mm-hmm. it and I got up to use the restroom and the kid came into the restroom with his father and he's he's now you would think the father would know better he's going look at his leg look at his oh leg. my gosh and the father's laughing and 
I just, I just left. I said to my wife, I said, we got to go. The father should have known, but it should have corrected him. And he's coming over, trying to pull my pants leg up as I'm washing my hands. And I said, please stop. You know, it was just you're, embarrassing. You're a lot kinder than I think I would have been. Yeah, well, but, uh, I think I wanted to smack the father in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I didn't want to do that in front of his son. But it's just, I think you're right. I think it should be taught in school. And you know, the most neglected minority in this world are disabled people. Yep, yep. You know, it's like you can't say anything to this group. You can't say anything to that group. You can't do this to that group. But when it comes to the disabled people, eh, have at yeah. it. Do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, you have a handicapped parking space. Park there. Don't worry about it. That's one of my pet peeves. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go off on that. No, <laughs> I, I can fully support that. And I've always said that. It's um, just like um, in this, the states me, but when you talk about like in the 90s, even the early 2000s, women talking about breaking the glass ceiling mm-hmm. at work. Well, what about people with disabilities? They don't, they, don't, they don't even get to see the glass ceiling. Exactly. You know, and I, I forget, uh, there was a quote, and I forget how it went, but it was something, um, and I, I'll have to look it up, but something about it's not, you know, for people with disabilities, it goes beyond, you know, inclusion is not just hey, let me make room for your wheelchair at the table, right. you know, and, and having a voice and, you know, but they sit there, it's having a voice and a voice that's respected without any condition of disability, without anyone even thinking that, oh, gosh, we better clear the space, you know, it, and it, or we treat them differently. Um, and, I, and so that I believe there's a lot of work that not only has to happen in schools, but it has to happen in, with employers, you know, and I, I've, I worked for 40 some years and, you know, it was always, always came up one way or another, always came up. You know, I was uh, fortunate to have some, some very good uh, career opportunities, but yet I, I remember seeing some that I really wanted, but the door was closed and I could tell the only reason the door is closed is because I walk funny. Right. Well, how many times in your business, in your line of work, have you seen people say, well, no, we'll, we'll go with someone else? For no other reason than the fact that they're, they're disabled, that the person's yeah. person disabled. I, I've seen it myself. It's disgusting. And if you did that with any other group, you'd be dragged into court. Yeah, yeah. And that's, um, and that's where colorblindness needs to be for all people. Exactly. You know, I, I think the, the book, you know, Nangelo pointed this out, got me thinking, you know, we really all have, everybody has a disability. Exactly. Just just with you and I, it's a little more apparent than somebody who has a bad temper or who is, you know, emotionally closed off or just is stupid because they're stupid. Right. Not, not, because, not because of an intellect, but because they choose bad choices. And, you know, I think... I don't want to say the good thing, but the thing I'm blessed with is at least I know what I have to work on. Right. You know, where some some people where they're they're what holds them back in life is invisible. They they're like they don't realize it because they have a snarky, you know, way of greeting people. That's what holds them back from getting a job, exactly. or getting fired, or getting fired every six months. So that part, you know, and, and I think that's one thing I was taught early on is although I didn't see my disability as a gift, I always tried to look at the world in an optimistic way. And, and you and I both know that given what we've been through, that's some days hard. Exactly. Um, but I still, to this day, try to look at a situation and say, oh, there's got to be some good that comes out of this. <laughs> it's got to be a silver well, lining sure somewhere. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, it's funny because everyone I speak to, and I speak to quite a few people with disabilities, everyone's oh, everyone always has the same thing to say. You have to try a little bit harder. Except for the people... now. There's always the other side too with people with disabilities. Some people just give up, and yeah. I I have no patience for them. To be honest well, with you, well, I believe it. It comes, you know, in in the book is tried to portray this, and this is maybe why it took me ten years to write it. <laughs> is I guess I had to see my life 
from being not just a blessing, but how am I not a victim? How am I victorious over my life rather than a victim to what happened? And, you know, what I see in people, and it's kind of what you're alluding to, and it's a great um, point, Jimmy, is that people so much give up and they blame the world, they blame their parents, they blame whoever, and they become a victim. And they're really not, because I truly believe we all have a choice in how we respond to any situation. Exactly. And, And you and I can't necessarily know what that choice is going to lead to, but what we can do is make a choice that leads us in one that allows us to be victorious. Well, you know, I always say everybody is allowed to have a pity party. Okay. Everybody. They, they, I know I did it. I'm sure you did it. Oh, yeah. You go through a period where woe is me. And if you don't do it, you're not human, I don't think. But there comes a time that it gets late and the party has to end. <laughs> so, so the, the million dollar question is yeah. how long can you have the party <laughs> the party has to end somewhere and you have to stop and you have to look around and say okay party's over now what am I going to do Sure. you can't have that party forever and there comes a time where people around you are going to say well I'm tired of this party and you're going to yeah. wonder why people around you start to disappear too I don't ever want to be looked at as, here comes Jimmy, the guy in the wheelchair. I want to be looked at as, here comes Jimmy. Right. And I don't understand how some people want to be this. And I don't mean it like that, but that's, uh, I guess it sounds that way. But some people seem to want to be disabled. Well, is it, let me be the devil's advocate. Is it they want to be disabled or they want one of two things, not to have to work or they want everyone to feel sorry for them? I think I think that's one and the same. Yeah, <laughs> they don't yeah, want to work. Because <laughs> I, mean, I really don't want, didn't want to be disabled. I didn't want to know? be disabled. That's for sure. No, I'm not always a, the toughest worker or the hardest worker, but you know, I, I didn't ask for what I had, no. and that sounds terrible. And I know you didn't either. But life says, hey, guess what? We're we're giving this blessing to you. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and I and I think that's you know when I look at who I am, had that accident not happened, I I can dream of a million other ways my life would have ended or led, but I don't think any of them would have. It would have made me the same person I am today. No, there's, you know, um, there's a reason for everything. Look at you, you had the accident, that, but there's a reason. You see. Look what you've done. You've inspired people through your through your your speeches and your 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 talks. You're an inspiration to people. You're inspiring people. Believe me, with this book, this book is gonna this book. I'm sure it's already done amazing things for people, and it's gonna continue to do amazing things for people. This is a book, but it has to be. This book has to get into other people's hands. Mm-hmm. It it honestly does because. Just, just the story itself is an inspiration, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm going to tell. You. I'm going to tell. Well, we're telling people about it now. We we have quite a few subscribers, and I'm going to make sure they hear about this. But well, thank you. This book itself, plus the fact that you're working with healthcare providers and education institutions and so on. Of course, what you're doing. Maybe you wouldn't be doing that if you didn't get hurt. Right. You might be doing something else, but you didn't let it stop you. There's people that get hurt, and it's like they put on the brakes. Boom. They hit a, they hit a brick wall, and that's where they stay. They think because they, they, they're told they have a disability that it's time to lay down and their life is over. Yeah. That's what bothers me. And that's one of the reasons that like we do the podcast here, we do the website, we do the, the Facebook pages. We, you know, you got to learn... The, Disability, there's, all right, there's obstacles in front of you, but you have to learn how to get around those obstacles. You have a disability, your life doesn't stop. I don't care what kind of disability you have, whether it's a, a broken finger or a broken body. There's ways to get around every obstacle, and you know that. Yeah. And you're showing people how to do that. That's why I think it, I think you're you're really you're really an inspiration. 
this book alone is an inspiration. I think one of the, um, since it's been out in, you know, it was released late last year. And then after that, I mean, like it's released on a Friday and then I go into surgery the following Monday. And so I had this whole like six months of recovery from surgery, but being able to now get back to talking to people about it Mm -hmm. and get it and get in the reaction. I think the biggest thing I've seen is that people who are you and I would otherwise call them normal are coming up and saying, Oh my gosh, you know, because that they're finding a connection with the book that allows them to tap into whatever is holding them back. Exactly. You know, and in fact, a friend of mine the other day read it, and she's a, a neighbor, and we were talking, and I gave her a copy of the book. I said, here, just read it. And she's like, and she is, I would look at her and say, I don't see any issues. And then she goes, I got to give it to my daughter. <laughs> she goes, my, my, my daughter just has so much stuff going on that she can't figure out. And she goes, and she says, kind of forgetting her company, but she goes, if you can get over it, she can. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and so that that's why I do see resonating with people, yes, with disabilities, but goes beyond that and says, hey, how do we treat other people? Exactly. Well, you know, people are reading this book because I don't know if you've looked on Amazon lately. No, I haven't. Well, I looked on Amazon today. There's only eight left right now. It says, okay. It says more coming. <laughs> so We like that. that okay. <laughs> I'm that sure you well. do. I'm sure you yeah. do, but it says it on Amazon today. More coming. There's only eight left, and one, what I ha- one for Go resale, ahead. one used for resale. Okay. So there, one thing that um, the other feedback I got with people is that, you know, especially educators or maybe counselors or somebody who's may maybe working with individuals are seeing the book as more a let's have a book study club. Mm-hmm. let's have a book study discussion so what i did after prompting and you know more than one person said that to me i went through and kind of outlined each chapter what i with what i thought were discussion points and threw it on the website and said hey you want to you want a group discussion here you go here's a here add your own questions but here's just some to start with you know and then reference the page that you could find it at so if someone did find themselves in the, gosh, it helped my daughter or it might help my granddaughter or maybe the person I'm working with, they can take that and then also have the, the study guide to help have a focused discussion from the book rather than from, here, let me talk about your leg, you know, right. kind of discussion. That would, that, would be a, that would be an excellent idea on Zoom, actually. Oh, got, got it. That that would be an excellent idea. Have like a, a virtual book club. I'm writing that one down. That's a great idea. You know, and discuss it on Zoom. You can you can get dozens of people together like that. Yeah, great idea. Thank you. Now, I have another question for you. You de- sure. Um, you, now you, it says you're developing programs for disabled agencies, disability, um, yeah, disability agencies and education institutions and healthcare providers to help disabled people gain independent an independent lifestyle through art yes how, how does that work well i you know i've done a lot of my friends call it crafty i call it work and what i did when um, i recently moved back relocated back to michigan but what i did when i was in arkansas I used to invite people over. We'd have a, whether it was at my house or it was at a community hall, and we would, I'd just bring a bunch of supplies and say, okay, we're going to make something today. You know, maybe it's uh, something with cut glass, maybe it's something with beads, maybe it's painting, and you can just paint your little heart out. But it's trying to get them to see that there's other skills that they have. You mean, it took me, I always wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a lot of things, but, you know, is the, and this had nothing to do with my disability. But mm-hmm. when I was in kindergarten, the teacher told me, but I made a tree and she put a big X on it and says, that's not the way you make a tree. <laughs> I, I had ever since that's, that. That's great for a I, kindergartner. That's right. Because ever since then, 
I told myself I can't draw. Uh, and and so probably about three years ago, I started taking up painting. Very and nice. so I, I'm looking at organizations and as I have conversations with them, make suggestions for other activities other than just sit in a room and talk. You know, let's, because it's, it's easy to, you know, do something that people feel, um, you know, feel that they can contribute. They can have their, there, there are no boundaries on what they make. Uh, in fact, out of this, it, it wasn't because I did it, but I read an article about a year ago about a uh, young lady with a disability that her parents had bought her a bunch of beads, and she was selling jewelry. Excellent. And I'm like, how cool is that? Excellent. Like I said, you you're, you're like multifaceted. Yeah. <laughs> how do I don't, I don't know how you have the time for all of this. Do you still go around? doing uh the talks the inspirational talks i haven't for a while only because i've had you know some medical issues that have uh, kept me from you know being on the travel circuit right um however it's uh i had one early this year where i I was in front of a group of students that had disabilities that were getting you know uh getting some job skills Mm -hmm. we had we had them all on zoom Oh, excellent. And so I, I just had a prepared presentation I made, and it was like, it was like, here's the top ten things I've learned. You know, it's going to help you. And it was interesting because I think, I don't want to say the day of having stand-up seminars has gone by the wayside, but definitely COVID has affected that. COVID has affected a lot. Um, but I, you know, I am absolutely um, able to, you know, respond and do like a Zoom. I, uh, you know, and like I, um, I, I still go back to your suggestion about having a whole book discussion on Zoom, but I've done classes that way, or pre- uh, if you will, presentations. Well, I just, I just spoke with a fellow. I, I just interviewed him actually. Um, his name is Jim Gavin, and he, de- he works with developmentally disabled people and the elderly with dementia and. Yeah. Alzheimer's and he works with them through music okay and he started back in 2018 then the the pandemic hit and he did it all through zoom and okay his business has taken all I just interviewed I interviewed him back when he first started and I just interviewed him the other day and it has taken off so well and the people have responded so well through the zoom and where he was just basically Based in New Jersey to begin with, he's all yeah. he's all over the country now. He's even done work in Israel. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> and all through Zoom, it's it's amazing, and the people are responding to it. So, yeah. well, I think I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to be um, respected. Everyone wants to be recognized. Exactly. And everyone wants to know that they make a difference, um, whether it's on a, a micro level or a macro level. We all have that need to contribute, I believe. Exactly. And on on the other side of that, the people that you're working with, they want to feel the respect that you're giving them. Yeah. I mean, it's got to feel so good to have someone turn around and say, you're doing good. You're doing the right thing. You know, you're doing the right thing. You're doing a a nice thing. You're doing excellent or something. It, It just feels good to have someone compliment you because too many times people with disabilities are left like furniture. Mm-hmm. And like someone like you coming to speak to people that are disabled and talking to them directly to them, not talking to their mother or father, to their spouse or to their brother or sister. You're talking to them. This book is talking to them. Yeah. It's not talking to their caretaker or anybody else. It's talking to them. And that makes such a big difference. In, well, you know yourself as a person with a disability. It makes such a big difference when they talk to you. And not talk to someone else about you. Oh, it does. I, I used to be infuriated as a child yeah. because, you know, the doctors would look at my mom and say something. And I'm like, hey. Yeah, exactly. But but I, but I was taught to keep my mouth shut. Exactly. Exactly. You know, however, I was highly offended that, hey, I, I don't care what your intellect level is. You can still respect a person and have a conversation that's at their level. Exactly. Even if it. Even if it's a smile and say, how are you doing today? Well, I still get, get it, it today. I, I, mm. st- I still get it today. I mean, thank God for my wife. My wife's a nurse. 
But okay. We'll, we'll go into a doctor's office and they'll they'll look at me and say, how are you feeling today? And look at my wife for an answer. <laughs> wow. Maybe I, and I'm, I'm going to joke with you a little bit on this. They don't do that with me, moment because I'm not married. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> they, they just maybe they just ignore it. They don't say anything. <laughs> sometimes, well, yeah, it's not all the time, but sometimes it's. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, hello. And when my wife answers, I, I'll look at them, make a joke. I would say, you didn't know I could throw my voice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's good. I try to make a joke out of everything, but. This, like I said, that I'm just impressed with you. I'm impressed with this book. This book, really, I've read books by other people, and they they talk about their life, and their books are excellent. Right. But this here, when I when I when Megan first told me about this, I got the book and I'm reading it. I'm going, wait a minute. I thought this was about the author, and then mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reading, going, wait a minute. This, is this fictional? And it it the book made me think. I don't like to think sometimes. <laughs> but the book made me think but then it got to the point that i couldn't put it down that's why i asked you when we first got on the you know when we were first on the phone i was like did i miss something here i lose something in this but it's such a good book and i i recommend this book to everybody whether you're disabled or not i recommend this book this well i would i would take that on behalf of my co-author and say if it wouldn't have been branch always kicking the tires because when we started, I said, I don't want to write a book if all it is is about my tragedy. Because really, where do you go with that? Right. I mean, there is no, yeah, it's a story, it's another tragic thing. I, people have tears. But if I can't have a message that's tied to what I went through, I'm not going to do it. You know, and I think that's why it took the 10 years to write it because, you know, the first probably 10 drafts were all about, you know, drama, 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 tragedy, tragedy, but there was no learnings that came from it. And uh, Angelo kind of forced me into looking at hard parts of my life and saying, again, you don't have to tell me, but you got to figure this out. You know, you have this disability and, and he's one person that I, when I was a consultant, I called on him. He was uh, assistant superintendent of a school at that point. Mm-hmm. And I called called on him and you know, pitched him on the idea of I would do a communication class for his people, you know, with all his teachers in the school district. And we did that. He never once asked me about my disability. He never once kind of flagged it out there. And, you know, when we started writing the book, he reminded me of that. And he said, there's something different in you because you continue to go without even thinking about the crutch, without even, you know, it doesn't stop you. doesn't, you know, and so he really pushed me to the core to identify in it, in myself, what was that, that I'm, that I didn't stop, that I kept going. And that I think, and that's really was what I wanted to make the book convey, not so much that you know it, but that you make the journey yourself. And if there's something holding you back as a reader, you know, you're like, oh gosh, because, you know, and there's enough stories or words or something that make you look at your life until you uncover that. And then, because when I did, that's when my life exploded. And it's like, wow, wish I'd felt this way 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> really? Now, your thoughts on this. So, do you believe? that you have to resolve early issues in order to progress now? Do you think that's part of the the healing process? I do. I do. And at least that's the way it worked for me. Maybe not for everybody, but it was what I did because I didn't didn't resolve them early. I buried them. I buried them really deep. And so for years I would go on ignoring that these things were even an issue and here, 20, 30, 40 years later, I was like, wait a minute. I dealt with this way back when. And so for me, it worked that I had to resolve that. You know, whether you call it a mourning process, a healing process, you know, there was there was something in my past that kept on, kept the hook, and kept me emotionally tied to that day at the barn. And the day at the barn is the day I had my accident and everything that revolved around it. And it really wasn't until... 
I resolved that whole part of my journey, i.e. the 1,600 miles I traveled, to to be able to be free of the path. Now, maybe it doesn't, it won't work that way for somebody else, but that's the way it worked for me. Well, it makes sense. In my travels around with people here, a lot of things I hear, and I always chalk it up to people have time on their hands now, that all of a sudden they have memories that are popping up from when they were mm-hmm. kids, that things weren't so as good as what they thought it was, or they had problems, and all of a sudden they're remembering things weren't as rosy as what they thought it was growing up. And now they're having issues with what they, not only are they having issues with what they have with the problems they have now, now they're having issues with things that happened in the past. Oh, yeah. And so you think resolving those issues that, are, that happened in the past can help them come, like, move on with stuff that's happening now? I do. I, I do. I look at my leg and, you know, let's take something really basic that, you know, and you and I talked about it already, that every time someone asks what happens, you go back and you relive the, the thing, right? Whatever, whatever it was. What would have happened if by the age of 10, which I will give it five years, but by the age of 10, I had found a way that when someone asked what happened, I didn't go back into that past. How would that have changed my decisions? How would that have changed my friendships? The loves of my life that I didn't do really well with, you know, mm-hmm. um, how would that have changed it? So I truly, you know, think that if you're, if you're burying it, that's what I call it. If you're burying it, it's only a matter of time before it's going to pop back up. Right. You know, as humans, I, I think we're wired that you've got to either, you know, give it uh, so, some people call it the you better give it to God, whatever, whatever your version of that is, you've got to find a way to resolve that and burying it is not the way. Um, I personally believe in this or truly my personal belief that a lot of people's illness comes from their inability to keep burying the past, you know, and I, and I liken it to when I was my former marriage, you know, there was one point in time I was at the age of 30 I was on I was on the nerve of having an ulcer. Mm-hmm. Like, are you ki- are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I, because I'm a fairly healthy. Aside from my leg, I'm a fairly healthy woman, and always have been. And all of a sudden, when I looked at what was happening at that moment in my life, and trying to ignore some of the things going on that bothered me, once I was able to resolve that, I haven't had any ulcer issues since. So, again, again, that's just my personal experience and my beliefs based on that. Now, let me ask you, do you, you get someone that says, well, I had a problem with my father. My father was, I don't know, <laughs> whatever. But how do you go back and resolve that? Um, okay, so it's a great question. So I'm going to go on a little limb out here. Um, <laughs> okay. And, and so maybe it's a big limb. So Liz, in the book, didn't have necessarily the best relations with her birth mother. And, you know, when I look at that, that's in in her relations with her father, her birth father were non-existent. You know, he, um, those are, those are stories for another day. But, but that was, that was a part of her past that she felt bad about. You know, and she felt she carried, if you will, she carried those bad seeds and, you know, take it like Liz. Liz sat there and said for years, hey, why did my parents give me up? That wasn't fair of them to give me up and not, and I'm adopted and uh, you didn't give up my sister. And I don't mean give it up, but I, I lost her childhood with my sister because of that. I had to finally let that go and find a way to be thankful for the life my mother did give me. She gave birth to me. Right. And if I and if I found nothing else than to be thankful for, I can thank her for that. And that's you know, and I, I went I've gone to counseling, I've gone to courses, but that's the best way I found to resolve that sense of the father, if you will, mm-hmm. the mother. It's just to find, you know, what can you be thankful for? You know, they're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But she did she did give me a life. And maybe whether I think it was right that she gave me up for adoption or not. I've had a very blessed life because of it, you know. Um, and I don't know that had they not given me up, that 
that it would have resolved in the same way. So I can't, I can't second guess that decision, but I can go back and resolve in my heart the one thing I am thankful to them for, my birth. That makes sense. I've, like I said, I've heard people tell me horror stories about their, their childhood. And I always put it to the in my mind that they have too much time on their hands. <laughs> and well, you... seriously, and some of the things that, that I've heard, I'm like, this can't be true. But yeah. who, I'm not, who am I to judge? I can't, I can't judge. I, I wasn't there. And I think to myself sometimes, like, if this is true, these people should be brought up on charges, some of them. Yeah. And, but it's so many years ago. But I, uh, I mean, I, I'm not advising anybody or anything, but I just, sometimes they're looking for an answer, and I don't know what to tell anybody when it comes to something like that. Well, I, I think the other thing, and this is one thing that I had to reconcile, is who do I have, who do I choose to have a relationship with? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've chosen people in my past, from my past that may have hurt me, and I say, you know, I choose. My friend put it this way after reading my book, and he was. I had um, breakfast with him the other day. He was driving through town, and he after reading the book. He said it this way, you know, there are just some people you need to leave at the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. That's a true, true and when statement. He said, yeah, and when he said that, I realized because there's again this or there's a scene in the book about the elevator and Liz Liz choosing to leave somebody at the elevator, and I thought, wow, you're right. Is that if you hurt me, say you're my father or my mother or my sibling, doesn't matter who you are. There comes a point in time I can choose to sever that relationship. Exactly. And that's my choice. And then how you deal with it emotionally, that's, that's sometimes why you need a counselor. You know, I'm not, I'm not trained in that. I just know what I did. Mm-hmm. So, so there, are, there are family members that I, because of that, I choose not to associate with them. Well, like they say, <laughs> you can choose your friends. You know? Yeah. And... Well, me personally, I'd rather choose my friends, <laughs> but it's uh, it's hard. It's hard. And like I said, I listen to some people, and sometimes I think, you know, some some people just have to sound off, and I'll listen. You know, they'll they'll write emails, and I'll listen. Then they'll say, please don't mention this on your podcast. I, All right, I won't. They just want to get it out of their system. Then other people, they. I don't know. It's it's heartbreaking sometimes. And then there's other people, like I said, I think they just have too much time on their hands. Yeah. But. It goes back to that and, and maybe the victim syndrome where it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. A, lot, a lot easier complaining about how the world mistreated me. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Victoria, I can't, I can't say enough about this book. I'm, uh, also, I wanted to mention your website. You have victoriamavis.com. That um, you checked it out, I can tell. Yes. <laughs> so that that is, if you know anything about me, you'll know I am uh, extremely transparent. So, um, and I think the book helped with that because really, once I told the story, there's nothing to hide. Um, so a lot of times, I'll put things on the website, be it a blog or something else, that maybe people think is controversial. Um, the website the website is the best place to find me at. Find what's going on. Um, you can get a book there, or to your point, you can do it on Amazon. But really, what I eventually want the the um, the website to be is a way that the community comes together. It can express collective views that help all of us. Because I've got like some other author friends, one of who has written a child's book on having a disability. And I've talked to him saying, hey, people are on my website. They, you know, maybe maybe they resonate more with your story of, you know, how you told it in your book. And so that's what I'd like the, um, the website to eventually morph into is more a community center. Well, I'm going to definitely put your website in the show notes for the podcast. And I'm going to put it on the Facebook page so that we can generate more people going over there. Well, thank you. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm going to, I want to make your name a household name. Like I said. Victoria Mavis. <laughs> you know it, Victoria Mavis. And I want to get, I want, I want people to get this book in their hands because 
we're very we're very particular on who we bring on with books because some people write books and it's it's a pity party. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only way I can. You know, we've we've had quite a few authors and but they're select authors and you're one of them. This book is again. I I, I don't want you to think I'm blowing smoke on you or anything like that. The book is one of those books like the other ones that we've had that it's a page turner and it's one of those ones like I'll, I'll be I'll be sitting in. The living room reading, and my wife is going, uh, dinner's on the table. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll be right there. And I'm still reading. But this book is a page turner. I'm I'm, I'm not shocked, but I'm shocked that it took you 10 years to, to write this. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I was able to read it in like a week. Um, it, it's it's just a great book. The story the story is good. It's just, it's, I'm going to be honest with you. It's a bit of a sad story, but it's a happy yeah. story at the end. To be honest, Thank and you. Uh, one other question, beyond them looking at it, these pictures on the cover are they you? Yep. Are they? That's that's me and my sister when we were. That was probably I'm just doing the math. Probably four months before my accident. Really? And... Yep. We were well, so we were visiting the people who were about to adopt us, um, who were relatives of my mo- my mother. My birth mother and we were so we had been staying with them for a while so we're in our little easter dresses and our easter bonnets i believe and i and on one of them i think you can see my sister's holding up her basket holding a basket yeah so that was that was us cool i meant that i meant to ask you that in the beginning if that was if that was you guys yep that was us she's she's the one that looks smarter <laughs> <laughs> very nice very nice. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you for coming on with us today, and I really appreciate it. And I would love to have you on again. To oh, be absolutely. To be honest. Um, I would say this. Just let me know what works for your timeline. We can have another discussion. Um, things, as you know, uh, October is National Disability Awareness, Employment Awareness Month. So I, I'm, you know, when I look at what I'm talking about, part of what I'm, you know, my world is always about, okay, what's going on in the world itself. And so whenever you might feel, feel it's appropriate, give a shout out. I'd be more than happy to have a chat. Definitely. And do you have anything coming up right now? Or are you just sitting back and taking a little bit easy because you've been busy as all get? I've been busy. <laughs> Actually, I'm trying, I'm trying to get my, my condo finished, you know, getting re- not repaired, but getting Getting all my stuff done in my condo. I'm like, is it winter yet? You you're working on uh, a you're working on a condo now too. Yeah. So what I did is um, in April I decided to um, that it was time to come back home and move back to Michigan. I lived for five years in Arkansas, and my whole life since I was graduation early, I've spent you know, going from one place to another for a job. So I've lived in five states. Oh. And Arkansas, Arkansas was the last. I'm like, well, it's time to go back to Michigan. And I, because of, you know, mobility issues and other things, I, I didn't want to have a house anymore. And I didn't want to have to have the yard and all the things you got to do to keep a house up. Mm-hmm. And so I got a condo and, you know, so it had a lot of things it needed help on. And so the last three months, I've done nothing other than trying to, one, do what I could do, you know, some projects I can do, and two, get contractors to get my condo finished. So I'm kind of at the, like, okay, we got to get it done before the snow flies. Oh, my God. That's kind, that's kind of my thing, to be before the snow flies. And so I really, uh, when you say what's coming up, I've been in the midst of starting to um, outreach to schools that I haven't been in contact with to give them um, you know, previews of the book to see if it fits in their curriculum or could fit in, um, could fit into, you know, a, a study structure. We did, you know, I'm going to be pursuing the avenue of making it into a movie. I, I've, I've always thought it would be a great, great movie. Are you kidding me? No, no, that's, so if, if, if listeners have somebody that, uh, you know, we, we already, I'm already saw the draft of what a movie might look like. And I'm like, wow. Wow. You know, it, uh, so it's those. So when you say what's coming up, it's more of getting the word out by whatever means I mean uh, that's appropriate 
and you know trying to go down the the avenue of having it be made into a movie wow and i've already got people picked out that if there was a movie who would be in there <laughs> you know <laughs> well make sure you make sure you put this part in the movie and you can have ryan gosling play me okay <laughs> i can do that yeah i'm sure he'd be happy <laughs> well you know it's interesting because i thought for people being being liz who do i think could pull that off and you know i had my favorites for years because i thought about this 10 years ago did you know it? being a you know i did I put it in back burner because we got to finish the story but someone lately came up with this, susan sarandon and i'm like oh now that'd be an interesting you know i just never mm -hmm. you know um and you can make any character you know almost but it's like who do i think could really pull that off in terms of how liz's character is and you know um not just not just the image but the depth in their acting the depth in being able to mm -hmm. you know move like you have a disability because one thing we did when we wrote the book, it was my intent that you could walk in my shoes. And so I went in great. It was painful to try to write, how do I walk? Right. How do people see it? How would they experience it? Um, that's not every character can pull that off. This is true. That's, that's such a neat idea. Make a movie. Hmm. Yeah. You know, you know what the best the best part would be? Get What's one that? get one get one character that one one name, one well known name, and then use disabled people. Oh yeah. Great idea. You know? Use use you know, like the gay people want gay people playing gay people. So use disabled people playing disabled people. That's a, it just sounds like such a neat idea. And it I think it would be a very interesting movie to be honest with you. You know, it's interesting. I always, uh, one of my childhood dreams, of course, it's, it, I, don't, I can't act. But I thought, I have to be an actress. And then in the early 70s, when I saw, like, Gunsmoke, mm -hmm. and you had you had uh, Chester on there with the limp. Yep. I'm like, oh, look, I, I got to do that part. Chester. And uh, who was the other one? Festus was in the other yes. one. Chester one? and Festus. That's right. It, and so I'm like, you know, there, and to your point, it's like, why not have disabled people? I always thought they, they don't need to get a, get an actor to play that. I can play being a, having a limp. That's, That's right. really, you know. There you go. But, but Hollywood didn't think that way. Oh, well, you could always, this, you know, this could be a Lifetime movie. Oh, that's a good idea. This could be a, this could be a, a, a knockout Lifetime movie. Actually, yeah. Actually, uh, my my wife watches Lifetime all the time. She's got me hooked on them. That's a great, great suggestion. This could be a knockout Lifetime movie. Yeah. So when you ask what's next, it's a lot of that. You've got, just, a, you've got a full place. I, I got work. Actually, you got a shopping cart full of stuff coming up. I do. I yeah, do. Yeah, no, we're, we're going to keep in touch. <laughs> we're definitely gonna we keep, will. We will. This is it. Jimmy, this has been so much fun, and it's been an honor to be on your show. It's been an honor to have you on here. I, I, I'm, I'm blown away. I was a little bit nervous, but you've put me at ease. Thank you, thank you so much for being on here today. I really appreciate it. We're gonna make you. Um, I'm telling you, we're gonna make your name uh, a household name. And I like that. We're gonna, we're gonna push this book definitely. When it's hmm? yeah, and I, pre I appreciate that. To me, it's not about my name. It will be my name, but it's about the the story that the name represents. Well, um, we're going to push your name and Angie's name. There you go. And every scar tells a story. We're going to push that out there. And the, I can't believe you're working on a condo, too. On top of everything Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Books, talks, HR, HR expert, and a contractor. We should add yeah. that to your bio. I, w I was painting the other day. I got to go back. <laughs> Do you know what it's like painting in a wheelchair? That, that, that's the talent. It's like uh, that. I got more paint on the wheelchair than I think that I got on the walls. Now your wheelchair looks like the Partridge family bus. Oh, it does. <laughs> not, not quite the good lines, but yes. <laughs> oh, Victoria, thank you so much again. 
I'd like to thank Victoria Mavis for being on the podcast today. And I'd like to remind you, get her book, Every Scar Tells a Story. It's available on Amazon and it's available on her website, victoriamavis.com. And don't worry about it. All the websites will be in the show notes for this podcast. And I want to remind you, An Apple a Day is brought to you by www.famousapple.com. Famousapple.com is the home site for this podcast. So if you get a minute, check it out. And also make sure to stop by our Facebook page at famousapple.com forward slash group. That's the group page is Living with a Disability. It's over at Facebook. A lot of people having conversations over there, chatting, asking questions, answering questions. They're having a lot of fun. So stop by FamousApple.com forward slash group. And I want to thank you, the listener, for being here today and being here all the time. So be here for the next episode. We're going to have a lot of fun. There's a lot of good things coming up. And I want to remind you. No one ever went blind by looking at things from the bright side. So give it a shot. Hey, you've been listening to An Apple a Day. My name is Jimmy Apple, and I'll talk to you next time. Have a great day, my friends. Thanks for listening to An Apple a Day with Jimmy Apple, your gateway to a happy, healthy life. Join our community at www.famousapple.com. See you next time.